Hello, and welcome to Machine-Centric Science. My name is Donnie Winston, and I am here to talk about the fair principles and practice for scientists who want to compound their impacts, not their errors. Today, we're joined by special guest, Martinez. Martinez is a software architect specializing in semantic web and knowledge graph technologies. His expertise stretches way back from developing professionally since the early 2000s, earning a master's from the IT University of Copenhagen to freelance consulting and holding senior software engineer positions. He has 10 plus years of experience building knowledge graph data sets and applications from ideas and concepts to designs and implementations. He's the co-founder and CTO of Adam Graph for over 10 years. He's based in the Copenhagen area in Denmark and over at Adam Graph, they're developing a declarative platform for rapid development of data-driven knowledge graph application. Thank you so much for joining us, Martinez. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so I lurked around on Twitter and, and sort of e-met Martinez and reached out following a lot of his tweets and his company's tweets and just looking into the modus operandi of Adam Graph. You go to their webpage and their thing is free your data from silos. And they have interesting products. There's this thing called Linked Data Hub, which is open source software for knowledge graph management. And it, it seems to hearken or, or be reminiscent of a lot of the literate programming things that a lot of you are familiar with, most notably Jupyter Notebooks. But I think it goes kind of way beyond that and tries to superpower that paradigm in order to make things more fair. So I wanted to get Martinez's thoughts on fair and that sort of thing. So Martinez, can you tell me a little bit about your impression of the fair principles and how you've encountered them and what they mean and how they've maybe factored into your thinking for product development. Yes. So I think I noticed FAIR on Twitter probably as a hashtag in these more, I follow like tech and academic circles. Mm. So more from the academic side and I was interested, what is that FAIR data? Because I'm interested in data in general. So I looked at what FAIR data is at those four principles and it made sense to me because it looked like it's describing link data, which is pretty much the same word for semantic web or knowledge graphs or link data. It's the different sides of the same technology stack, you could say. So to me, it was interesting because knowledge graphs and the RDF graph data model, it seems like it's pretty much the only realistic implementation at this point for the FAIR principles. So I didn't come to this from academia. I haven't worked or studied at a university for 15 years, but I came to it more from the data side and the knowledge graph linked data side, I would say. You also mentioned Jupyter Notebooks. So our product, Link Data Hub, is not based on the same code. It's a separate code base, which is native to the RDF graphs and the graph data. But Jupyter Notebooks was one of the probably three inspirations, especially for the UI. Um, those executable code blocks that you can add on your page and just create structured data-driven content. That was an inspiration for the UI and how we built the UI. And there were a few other inspirations. We can talk about that if you like. Yeah, sure. Let's dive right into that. What are some of the other inspirations 
for what you saw as the problem that there's no existing good solution for with regards to data management. I had this vision for how the user interface should look like and that it should be not an application or a web page. It's more like a canvas that you can use to compose pieces of content or blocks of content which are backed by the knowledge graph in the backend in your graph store, for example. And those pieces of content could be pretty much anything like a view of a certain entity, let's say a research paper, if we're talking academia, or maybe in the industry, it could be a product, or it could be a collection of entities that you can paginate through, or it could be, let's say, a chart, which is generated from query results, maybe some image, like a binary file could be embedded, and you could extend it into some more specific domains. Let's say if we apply our product to a domain such as life sciences. And in your knowledge graph, you have data with 3D representations of molecules, let's say proteins. Hmm. So we can have some of the custom block components that could render that small piece of data as a 3D molecule, for example, using some kind of 3D plugin to render that molecule. And we can very easily extend our system to add such custom content components in for various domains. But so far, we're keeping it more general and generic. We haven't decided yet if we should extend it into any specific domain. The other two inspirations, those were personal knowledge graph tools. If you heard about that, the most well-known is Rome Research, probably. Okay. Um, and... It also uses this UI concept of blocks that can just be added on a page easily, and then they can be interconnected, or you can make references to other blocks from one block to the other block. And this way, you build this graph of your notes or your content blocks. And then the last inspiration was Tim Berners-Lee current project called Solid, and mostly because of its decentralization aspect. So we adapted this decentralized approach. So one instance of Link Data Hub can connect to another instance and then request access. And if you're granted access, then you can start managing data on that remote instance as well. So we haven't used Solid's technology stack, but more on a vision level. Yeah, that was the third inspiration for our project. Okay, great. There is this sort of idea in Jupyter Notebooks, at least with Jupyter Lab, um, the newest iteration where you can have these cells and you might copy a cell from one notebook to another. And so that's maybe some unit of modularity, not quite the level of isolation that you get in code where you write a function, a Python function, and you can port it and do that. But it's some visual way of doing that. And I, I think there's, there's a lot more going on with that block paradigm. And yeah, I know about the solids thing and this idea of decentralization. I think that's appealing to a lot of people, the idea that you can have your data in some place or repository that you control and you can share it with colleagues and you don't all have to agree on the same system as long as you're agreeing on the same protocol. So I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I'm wondering if we could back up a little bit on the spirit of the motivation behind FAIR and interoperability and this, this sort of thing, which I think you're getting at with this idea of blocks and composability of blocks and the solids. A lot of people might think, okay, 
I want to present something. I want to, like you said, visualize a molecule or something. What does linked data, this whole world offer me that I don't already get with Python? I have code, I have data, I'm storing things in CSV files or JSON files or data frames, pickled data frames, and I load stuff up and I, I pip install a bunch of stuff. And so it seems like I have all I need. So what does linked data buy me with regard to making things findable? Isn't it enough to just put a Jupyter notebook on GitHub and there I've published it and I made it accessible? Like what's the issue with that, that linked data and knowledge graphs helps with in your view? So as I understand, fair data is more about data, right? So with Jupyter Notebooks, you have something executable. That's right. You can probably reproduce the same result as the author did, but can you extract the data that they used or the data result that they get and maybe reuse it in your other systems, for example? I think that's as I see, that's what fair data is more about. When you look at that, you need some kind of data model that would support all these fair data principles. So let's say findable, that metadata should have global persistent identifiers and it should be self-describing metadata and so on. If you just go step by step through these points and requirements and then look at what technologies there are out there right now that are standardized, that were designed with the interoperability in mind, there's basically only one, and that is the RDF resource description framework, which is in itself a directed graph data model. It pretty much checks all the boxes, as I see it, for fair data, and there's nothing else that does that, right? So to me, fair data is more or less equal to linked data, in my opinion. <laughs> okay. I kind of agree a little bit. I, I have less experience, but, but um, one, one issue is making things accessible in terms of bringing things near to people. I mean, people can pip install a package. People can get started with, with Python code. For a lot of people, it's a little harder to actually make the FAIR principles real. So for example, globally unique identifiers. What in your experience, and maybe you do this in the Linked Data Hub or with, with Adam Graf, how do you facilitate globally unique persistent identification? Like people minting IDs and here I've got an ID for this thing and now someone can go to the browser and retrieve metadata, maybe JSON or whatever using known vocabulary where each of the keys of the field is a URL. How does that work in, in your experience when, when someone wants to get unique IDs for things, not only for their data, but for their vocabularies? How, how does that work? How does one approach that? Well, for the vocabularies, I would say there's a good deal of vocabularies that are already created and widely used, just waiting to be reused from quite generic ones, uh, like Dublin Core, when stuff was created or by whom to really very specialized one, especially in something like life sciences. And I don't pretend to understand that domain in, in depth, but there's been a lot of work done to, to standardize the vocabularies. But as for, let's say, creating identifiers when you're publishing your own data, I think that should be supported by 
the software system that you're using. And that software system has to be aware of the metadata model that it's working on. And I would say of the RDF graph data model that would make it easiest. So in other words, the software has to be built around these principles. And that's maybe quite a radical idea because for a long time, data was just like an add-on to software, right? But essentially now it's the inverse. It's the data that is at the center. That's the data-centric paradigm, right? And the software has to be adopted for that. So you don't have to create your eyes, these global identifiers manually, right? It's your software system that should generate them automatically for you. Just like if you know ORCID, for example, these mm -hmm. are the identifiers for researchers. And then there's DOIs for the research papers. I think that's mm -hmm. how it works. And a good software system, it generates it for you automatically. It's not something that you need to type manually in. And when you think about it on a higher level, the ORCIDs and the DOIs, they're all interconnected as well. You know, DOI, one paper references another paper, and then all of them have orders that links them back to the ORCIDs. So in essence, that's a huge research graph already there, not even connecting all the rest of the metadata that goes with the papers and that FAIR principles are addressing now. Yeah, I agree. There are lots of great identifier services for particular things when you have a published data set. So I don't know if someone has done this with Flink Data Hub or your products, but how would someone go from, say, a notebook workflow? I have a Jupyter notebook, say, it doesn't have the data and I want to share that. Maybe what I'll do is I will put that notebook in a GitHub repository and maybe I will register that GitHub repository with Zenodo. So now that repository has a DOI and maybe any accompanying data, maybe I'll put that in another data repository like Figshare and I'll put a zip file up there and that has a DOI. And then I guess I'll just communicate those and then I'll maybe rely on people using, I guess, Google search or GitHub search to, to find it. How, how would people publish data that they they produced in this Link Data Hub if they wanted to share it with the world and they, they wanted to make it accessible? Like, what is the process that someone would do to make sure that the data sets have identifiers, that they resolve, that there's a vocabulary? How, how would people do that sort of thing today? So I think the linked data approach would be that each of the blocks you have in, in your content that you created, it could be a chart or it could be a piece of executable code, maybe a query or something like that, that you have in your notebook. Each of those would have its unique identifier, either as a whole document or even sub-document level as a fragment of a document, right? And with linked data, when you publish it, you know, and you open that URI, that identifier in your browser, that's where you get directly to that fragment in your notebook. The UI doesn't necessarily have to be so different from what you see on Jupyter, but it's this direct access and self-description. That's another aspect that not only should you have a human-readable view of that fragment in your content, but let's say if you want machine-readable view and you ask for a machine-readable format, you can do that through HTTP with a different header and so on. 
at least using linked data. And you should get back a machine-readable description of your notebook and all those blocks that constitute it. And what you described, let's say packaging it and putting it on GitHub, that's one way to do it. But you lose all this granularity, right? You just have a blob with everything and it has one ID and all your content blocks in our system, you can create arbitrary entities. It depends on what kind of ontology you have imported. And let's say I've imported ontology that describes people. There are instance uh, classes like person and then properties where they know each other. And then we can start creating or editing instances of persons. In this context, maybe some fellow researchers that I know or that I want to follow, right? And each of them also get a URI, a unique identifier. And it can be the referenced and it can be opened both by humans as a web page and retrieved by machines or software in a machine-readable form. So I think those are the two main differences from the approach you described, granularity and then machine readability at this granular level as well. Does that answer it? I definitely see the, the possibility of it. What I'm wondering is what can someone do today? Are there good options today? Because a lot of people don't necessarily want to run their own server, set up a virtual machine, get an AWS account or whatever, and put that up there. It's just sort of like, oh, GitHub's free. I can put that up there. Or if they're publishing a scholarly article in a journal, their publisher might recommend a repository like Figshare, or they can take up to however many megabytes of supplementary information. So it's like, okay, I can upload a, an Excel file. But if people want to have these IDs, these individual blocks or, or concepts resolve, it's often not clear to people how they can do that without having a degree in computer science and being a software engineer. How would people make that kind of thing available today? Do people do that? And what's the path for someone who's maybe not a semantic web, web developer expert to get their data out there on the linked data web? That's a good question. I'm not in academia myself, so I don't know this whole software landscape as well as researchers would know, but I've talked to some of them specifically about the state of software that is aware of fair data. And there are bits and pieces there, let's say, centered around some specific formats, doing something specific, like just describing a list of artifacts that go together with the research article, either some data artifacts or software code. And then there are some editors that help you through the user interface, just build that metadata so it matches the specification for that format. So there are some specific things, but I think what's missing is an overarching framework that's maybe ambitious. I wouldn't say we're trying to build that, but trying to build in that direction at least. So there's definitely space for innovation uh, when it comes to fair data aware software, I would say, because most of it, m most of the tools, they're not. I was listening to a presentation of, uh, I think he was one of the guys behind fair data or some other initiative. I can't remember now. But this whole scientific publishing process, which is still based on PDF files and which is, a, you know, a print medium in essence, something he said stuck with me that 
the scientific publishing is probably that industry that is most behind the times of all industries when you think about it because he gave examples back from 1800s or 1700s and the process is not that different in the end compared to what happened in all the other industries in our lives in general when it comes to technology so i think that shows that there's a lot of space for innovation and uh, it's 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 ripe for innovation i think <laughs> yeah i agree i know there's a lot of conservatism in scholarly communication which is justified a lot of the time in terms of wanting to expand the sphere of knowledge and knowledge needs to be acknowledged the same route and so you need this peer review and you need to be careful about what you're publishing i know a lot of companies can sort of just put out data and then you know it turns out to be wrong that's fine wrong doesn't mean wrong 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 just means doesn't make money today or something i can see that but i'm definitely with you about things being able to advance the software industry many decades ago one had to be very careful and like put things on punch cards and then walk over to the computer and then have it run. And even a couple of decades ago before ubiquitous high-speed networking, wireless networking, you had software developed and they would get sent to a publisher who would print it on CDs and you'd, you'd go to a store and buy a box. And it's only now that it's starting to be pervasive that you can have continuous integration and continuous deployment where you essentially download the software every time you load it in your browser. Whereas with publishing, it's still sort of like send it over to a publisher. I'm wondering, so one thing that's an issue with managing scientific knowledge is making sure to properly differentiate, to know that something's novel, something builds on another work, so you'll have references. This has been prevalent in the software world with version control, especially with the explosion of Git, so you can really see how a piece of code evolved over time. And I feel like data version control is still kind of nascent. I'm wondering what your thoughts are, because this is a, a big part of, of the FAIR principles in terms of reusability, having a clear provenance model to describe the origin lineage of data or other objects. What's your experience with that in terms of what you've been developing with knowledge graphs in, in terms of doing things like this was the graph at this time, and now this is the graph two days later, and we can go back to this graph. How is provenance and change managed or where deficits in that, in your view? I'd like to come back to our previous point a little bit that there has to be some kind of paradigm shift, both in how researchers see this, but also for those who develop software for researchers that what scientific publishing produces is not just PDF with papers and some journals, and then those huge corporations that are behind most of them. That's the other topic. But through FAIR data, we can look at scientific publishing at this huge, vast network of research artifacts that can be navigated, explored as a knowledge graph naturally, but also recombined, reused, and repurposed in different things. This relates to fair principles and also to blocks as a UI concept that we talked before. From all these pieces in the graph, you can compose your research content maybe using blocks, right? As for provenance, we don't support provenance right now or versioning in Link Data Hub, but I don't see this being a huge issue 
you could have a persistent identifier for each revision, basically. And there are systems, even graph databases, for example, where you can uh, query each revision at any point in time and address it uh, uniquely. So in the UI, it could probably look similar to like you have on Google Docs. I think you can step back to any revision that you had back in time. Then each of those would be, again, uniquely identified as per fair principles. And with PDFs, as we have now, how do you even know that the PDF you're looking at Maybe you didn't get it directly from the authors, but you downloaded it from somewhere and it says it's this paper by these authors, but hmm. how do you know it's exactly the same? Maybe some system using content hashing, for example, similar to like BitTorrent or something like that could be used there. Yeah, I've been thinking about it a little bit, but I don't have all the answers here. <laughs> no, of course. And, and one potential remedy for that, I, I... I know it's been articulated as the third of the findable principles where they say that to really link the data to the metadata. And so how that manifests in PDFs nowadays, I think, is essentially a PDF, hopefully, of a research paper has the DOI in that PDF. And so one can always resolve that DOI and that'll be globally unique and persistent and they can re-download the PDF. It's not quite as robust as a content hash that you can do decentralized, but still there's that idea that what I have I should be able to link back back to what it is. I think a lot of people hold fast to the PDF because of this idea that once I download it, it won't change. Maybe there will be a new version of it and how publishers have traditionally handled that is you might publish a retraction or you might publish an amendment, but that actually wouldn't overwrite the original thing. So I think this idea of versioning is important. I like your idea of alluding to the blocks. Imagine if someone, their only interaction with research is this PDF and so the block is this dead block of text, but it does link to other blocks theoretically in the references section. And those may or may not be hyperlinked if you have an electronic PDF and you can click on the DOIs of those, but then you need to download those PDFs and you don't only have one kind of block for each of these things. Um, but you cannot really link at the fragment at the block level, right? Unless you have footnotes or something, but again, that's not so machine readable maybe. So right. I think this block UI paradigm, if you follow the right circles on Twitter, you'll see that even in content management in general, it's becoming a thing or is a thing already. And there is even something called block protocol, I think, attempting to standardize the types of blocks. Maybe it's a date picker or something like that mm. and trying to standardize, I guess, expecting that different systems would use the protocol and then be compatible in that way. But it's driven by some company, so it's not really a standard as in W3C specification way. Sure, but it's interesting to see this block thing emerging as an expression of the problem of granularity, at least at the visual level. Like people have documents, but they also want to work with the individual blocks that could make up a document. And so there's this idea of composition at the visual level, which we've known for a while, composition at the programmatic level. Yeah. And so that's interesting how, how that's playing I think out. it's pretty important, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think we're about at time, Mark Nuss, but this was a lot of fun. I learned a lot and I really appreciate 
you taking the time out of your schedule to join us today and share with our listeners some of your experience. Let's see, there are a couple of questions that I, I want to ask. One, do you have any advice for our listeners? And then the second thing would be, who should I invite next? If you have any ideas for that. Oh, okay. Well, maybe my advice in terms of software development would be uh, try to build as generic software as possible. And when you have any logic, just push it out into data and into declarative technologies, such as the RDF stack, for example. Yeah, that worked pretty well for us, I would say. That's why our product can work with any RDF data at the moment. It doesn't have any hard-coded models in it, but it can support pretty much any model, but it's being imported declaratively. Okay, I'm getting distracted here. (laughs) And uh, in terms of who you should invite... To talk about FAIR mostly or? Yeah, FAIR, m- machine-centric science for practicing scientists who want to have a less <clears throat> crazy way of dealing with data and publishing. Yeah. Um, well, there's one guy I follow on Twitter. I talked with him also a little bit about FAIR and his name is Stian, I think. Stian Soylent Reyes. And he is an open source research software engineer. He's into linked data, provenance, annotations, open science workflows, reproducible search. So great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds fantastic. Oh yeah. Thank you for sending me his Twitter link. And then I should probably say you should follow us on Twitter on AtomGraph HQ and then go check out our projects on GitHub. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was, that, was my, that was my last links. thing. Like, where, where can yeah. people continue to interact with you and learn more yes. from you? All right. Thank you, Martinez. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Donnie Winston, and I hope you join me again next time for Machine Centric Science.